Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Tiara. And I'm Victoria. And today we are reading The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. Uh, and this book was published in 1872. So we're, we're doing some old books at the moment, not quite as old as... That's because they're free on the internet. Yeah, actually, that's a good <laughs> Mainly point. Is that's a reason. good point. <laughs> Mainly actually, is I'm trying to think if we've even done like anything the written book, after I'm... the 80s. Yes, we did. Oh, no, no, we haven't. No, no, no we haven't. Hitchhikers was 1978. Yeah. I think that was the latest. But that was still in copyright. Yeah, it was. That's at least yeah. something. Oh, we've done a few <laughs> in copyright. But anyway, anyway, we should do like a modern... No, we're not doing Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, we're not. That would... Anyway, if you have any suggestions for more contemporary books uh, that are cheap and short, yeah, Give us a call or something. Drop us a line. Send us an email. Comment on our Facebook. I'm doing the end bit at the start of the episode. Let's just get into this. Princess and the Goblin. Okay. Um, a lot happens in it. So we're going to do this thing again. You have 90 seconds, one of you, to explain what happens in The Princess and the Goblin because I only read about two thirds of it, but Kiara and Victoria were good and actually read all of it. So. Um, okay, so it's a exciting fairy story about a princess named Irene who lives all who lives in this gigantic house on the hilltop, and um, this particular mountain has not only human inhabitants but also has goblins, which are these which are supposedly humans who have gone underground and have become grotesque and hideous and have feet everywhere and ears coming out of. Places they're not supposed to. Yeah, um, ugly little things that you know terrorize the you know the people you know um, you know everybody else. And so they have this grand plan to try and kidnap Princess Irene so that she can marry the Goblin Prince or something or other. But you don't find that out till the very end. So Irene lives there happily. Her father comes to visit once in a while. She lives there with her nurse, and then these little adventures start happening and start snowballing into this grand sort of you know as the people discover this grand scheme so she um meets her great great grandmother who is not we're not quite sure is real or not um no she's she's real she's real she's real and um but she but no one else can see her except irene up until a certain point we have reason to believe the king can as well but he's um he's an enigma he's an enigma himself so he's not so yeah he doesn't count and so she meets her great-grandmother up in this tower after she runs out of her nursery and away from her nurse, Lutie, who's an idiot, but anyway. Um, and, you know, and then, from there, and then from there, all these adventures start slowly unfolding. So Irene then go... Um, Irene and her nurse go for a walk and get back after dark and they get chased by goblins until this lovely minor boy named Curdie uh, saves them and walks them back to the castle. And after that... Lots more adventure. Cody gets tra- uh, Cody finds the goblins in the mine in the mountain mm. um, after he breaking through trapped, a wall of the mine and gets trying tra- to find out their plan. Yes, and gets trapped. It uh, gets captured by the king and queen of goblins trying to find out what they're planning. And then uh, Irene, um, who's given a gift by her grandmother, which is this gossamer thread um, that will always, you know, and you know, with the instruction, you know, just follow the thread. And she's like, okay, so she follows the thread, rescues Cody, and. Um, rescues Cody from this instant, goes back, 
and they go back. Curdie doesn't believe her about her grandmother and tells her off or something and then walks back home. It's highly offended for reasons I can't quite figure out. Yeah, anyway. And, um, <laughs> and you know, Curdie's 12, by the way. Irene's 8. Um, just to put that in age. But they're very mature. Very, very mature young people. Because she's um, a princess. Because she's a princess, <laughs> yes. And this minor boy is probably a prince and not actually a minor boy. I think there's something they oh, Yeah, there's something about that Because he's so well. noble, he can't possibly be of... Commoner. Common stock. <laughs> Um, very English thing to say, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, anyway, and yeah, and then the goblins' plans start coming to fruition, and they try and invade the pa- the the house, um, Irene's house, and capture her. But she is taken, whisked away safely by her grandmother's thread to Curdie's mother's house. And he, there's a great big battle in the house where lots of goblins get their feet stomped on and all sorts of exciting stuff. And then there's a great storm, and then the goblins try and flood the mine, and then they try and flood the, and then they flood the house, and in the end, everybody lives happily ever after. Essentially, I, I'm, I'm I'm detecting a missing link there. They try and flood the house, and everyone lives happily ever. <laughs> no, after. What? Oh, no, they, okay. So the king, so after after the ba- the battle is won and the goblins are driven away, the goblins' backup plan was to flood the mine. Um, they'd misinterpreted how important the miners were to the country. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but what happened? What actually happened was, is they didn't quite calculate how for much how, where the water exactly was going to go. So it ended up flooding the goblin caves. Well, because Curdie had been like, you know, they, they he told his father about yes. the plans. And yes, so, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And so, you know, they 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 protected. <laughs> Major <laughs> fail. Yes, pretty much. So the goblins flooded themselves, and in doing so, they Was ended up flooding the house. <laughs> a lot of digits. That's terrible. It's like it's like the going back to Star Wars, which is what we we're talking about before the episode. It's like you know blowing up the Death Star. Like how many people would have been killed in that? Like anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it was the biggest starship in the galaxy. All right. All right. Anyway, right. So. <laughs> They're goblins, they're not people, okay? <laughs> they were once people. <laughs> they were once people. And um, so we go... So the house ends up... In, so the king comes back after hearing about what happened to his daughter and she thinks he's dead and then Curdie and his mother turn up with Irene and she goes, Yay! Hi, Daddy, I'm alive! And he's like, thank goodness, blah, blah, blah. Curdie gets commended for his bravery and whatnot and, um, and yeah, happy, happy, happy and then the house starts flooding. <laughs> um, and the story basically ends with the king going off with Irene to take her someplace else while the house kind of like while the flood like dissipates and like they can their servants can clean the house up and the miners <laughs> fix everything and then the story and then it's like and they all lived happily ever after okay. basically is the end okay so in spite it's anticlimactic actually <laughs> it, it is in spite, of, in spite of our laughter we're in a bit of a mood for some reason I don't know what it is <laughs> I, I don't know about you, Victoria. Look at just finding out what actually happens, by the way, right now. So that's probably why he's I knew laughing. I was I was I knew most of what you just said. Yeah. Um, Kiara and I thought it was fantastic. Like it was really good. I don't know about Victoria. What did you? No, think? I liked the story. This is Mike. I like these kinds of stories. I like these stories with the really quirky narrator. It's very yeah, lemony snicket esque. Um, Especially the bit where he says, I shan't describe it to you, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> He's like, it's going to take up too much time because it would take too long and you'd be scarred for life if you did, if I it did. It was good. It was very, it was very fatherly. Like, yes, it, was it, like, was. it was like a father telling a story. Yeah, it was very cool because yeah. your interest would be like piqued by something and he'll be like, don't worry, I'll talk about that later. 
So, or most of the time he would. <laughs> or there'd be like bits and pieces which are like, would feel like spoiler alerts, except you got to remember it's a kid's story, so who cares? Like where he <laughs> talks about, you know, that later on, like in her life, the princess would imagine something, something. Yeah. Like, well, obviously she doesn't die. I mean, it's a kid's <laughs> book. That would be a bit terrible if she did. But then again, it's a kid's book. And it's like, pretty full on, actually. The description of those goblins, there's like these goblin animals that are like... Oh, they were terrifying. Don't read that horrifying. part at night. I'm like, yeah. Victoria like, made that mistake. <laughs> oh, no. Her face is like <laughs> scarred at the moment. It's like slightly vacant. I was reading... Okay, okay. for readers who, are, who decide to read along with us, um, I was reading the bit about the cat with the legs. At about three... Like animal with the legs. At about three in the morning. And it was terrifying. It like jumps into the like the thing oh. where it's up on the window and like yes, and the, those green like, eyes. This is, this is like stuff out of like you know Not like kids, some no, kind of nightmares. bad B horror film or something like that. Like <laughs> ex- the experimental cat that went wrong. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I like how it's like, like the noise, the noise of the goblins, like that noise because the noise of the goblins it describes like five different types of terrifying noises. No, no, that's the goblin creatures. And says that, oh, okay. That's the goblin creatures. Yeah, it's, like like, it's not a roar, it's not a shriek, it's not a growl, it's not a gurgle. It's like, like all, but it's all of them together. It's like, okay, I'm trying to imagine <laughs> that. It's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Um, which is great because it makes you picture things in your mind and, like, you end up. It, it's better than any movie, almost anyway, because you just scare yourself with your own <laughs> imagination. What kind of horrible things can I think of? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, I mean, I think it is. You know, for for a child that's not easily scared or something like that, it would it's fantastic because it like it the narration gives you that depth of character that you can have as as a person reading it to a child. It gives it to you right there. Um, so that's one of the fantastic things about it. And I mean, I, mean, I, I would think... read it to a child who has a nervous disposition, even because it shows, you know, because you know, it shows Irene several times getting terrified and sitting down and crying, and you know, but then sort of composing herself. Yeah, and... you know, then picking herself up and, and going on, good, which is a great. Very, there's like a very good. Um, although she lies a couple of times, but anyway, the, the lying thing is going to keep lie? coming back. Um, when she's talking lie. to the father about how the the king. Um, about how I don't remember where I got this ring from. Oh. Yes, you do. You got it from the grandma. Don't start. No, no, that. no, no. She never says that. She says, "Where did I get it from?" No, she says, "I can't recall." She says something about I can't recall. Oh, anyway, no, you're right. Anyway, I, I remember. That's the grandmother over there. asked her to say, you know, because she, she said to her, "What do I say?" Is, if someone asked. This is going to this is going to end up being like a thing about. We'll, we'll come back to George okay. MacDonald's theology a bit later. Yeah. This is going to be a thing about that. I know it. <laughs> But nonetheless, like, either way, it's very it's very good, and the characters in it have very good, I guess, very good morals. They're quite virtuous, and, I mean, things aside about, like, you know, possible um, aristocracy elitism or something, I don't know, about, like, oh, princesses are really awesome because they're princesses, right? <laughs> um, it's very, like, it's It's, it's still very relatable. Children. It's still yeah. very relatable, even though, like, I mean, every little girl wants to not, wants to think Every little girl is a princess, princess, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so every little scru- rough, rough, scrappy boy is really a prince at heart, even he though is. he is. yes. You know, it's... like, that's, that's, that, that's a really positive message, I think. You should read this to your children if you have any children. Or plan to read it to your future children. Or just read it yourself. Read it yourself, too. It's good for you as well. Yes. Children's books are great. Um, we should also mention, too, that C.S. Lewis was a massive fan of George MacDonald. He actually wrote a biography 
on oh. George MacDonald um, is one of his works. And I think he George MacDonald also comes up in one of his other books called The Great Divorce, which we should read sometime, hint, hint. Yeah, um, where George MacDonald is a guide in... You know, is 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 a you know is a, is guide. a guide. Oh, yes. so he's like the virtual of um, Heaven, Dante's basic. Inferno. Dante, no, yeah, well, of, of all of them. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. yes, yes. He's actually a bit... no, only the Inferno. But anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. And so he go, and so um, it's yeah. So he's so C.S. So George MacDonald was a big influence in C.S. Lewis. He was also a contemporary. To put it in perspective, historically, he was also uh, George MacDonald was a contemporary of Lewis Carroll, okay. and was apparently great friends with him. Um, you can see like little a little hint. bit, a little bit hint of Lewis Carroll in here. You can see it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, and you know this is kind of a growing age of you know sort of a, you know moralizing children's stories. Like everybody writes off Alice in Wonderland as oh you know they're all high as a kite and whatnot. And I'm like well not really like yeah it's not um. But serious serious depth of imagination is not necessarily an indication of drug use. Yeah, and like it's, people can have imaginations without it being, you know, accelerated by LSD. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I mean maybe that's just the maybe that's just a sign of the times when we just don't believe that it's possible to have such a. Well, maybe we are just such boring people that the only way we can fathom someone having an imagination is when it's high. Yeah. Is when it's drug induced. something bad about us. Really. Um, yeah. Anyway, so aside from that depressing note, Victoria, what? Um, you're the literary expert here. What? What? What little things did you either bug you and or or you love? Just loved? gonna just gonna put the heart the bar really high there. No, you're the no, no, no. I know. Well, no, no, no. To, it's like we say <laughs> everyone right, else bow down. Right. The bar's <laughs> right down there for Luke. Yeah. <laughs> This is so like this definitely is not so, the literary expert. Yeah, so Victoria's like desk level compared to Luke <laughs> down on the floor. It's like much the like there's about an ant space between the carpet and, and Luke. the bar. And I'm like somewhere <laughs> just above Luke. So it's all relative here, Victoria. Nonsense, just nonsense. Just keep me humble. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> we really are in a mood today. I don't know what is wrong with I think us. It's, a, it's finally became spring in Sydney. Like, oh, the weather yeah. finally turned, and so I think we're all a little bit excited. We've yeah. been reading fairy stories for the last two weeks. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, great. totally been reading this for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't start it the night before. <laughs> At least three nights before, Victoria. I remember you telling me when you started it. But Oh, yeah, that was when I read the first page. You have the floor, Victoria. Alrighty. Um, I don't know what I can really make of this story. I do think that it's one of those things that's not meant to have it's not meant to be read like, you know, some of those texts in university, though some of my friends are doing children's literature um, at the moment, concurrent to some of my units. Um, I think. I don't know. The narrator's pretty interesting. The third person, um, omniscient um, narrator that sees everything and shows us that he knows everything. And, and also doesn't make us relive explanations. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, very, very succinct. Really excellent style yeah. of writing. Sometimes I think he's a little bit tedious with his descriptions of uh, people frolicking in the flowers. Oh, I thought that was really cute. Uh, I, I just looked... Okay, okay. Was it? Okay. This is, is it this better is or why. worse than Lord of the Flies? It's always better than Lord <laughs> of the Flies. The phone book is better than Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, snap. Burn. Oh, the Nobel, the Nobel Prize <laughs> judges are like... They got it wrong. No, no, no. You know what? Lord of the Flies has its merits. I'm sorry. It has plenty of merit. It has plenty of merit. In the last 50 pages or so. But it has its so, merits. So, I never read those. So. <laughs> um, 
What else was I going to say? Yes, succinct, you know, uh, writing style most of the time. But the problem is, if I, if I sound frustrated, it's because there were two main narrative points that I was besotted by. I thought they were so interesting. One of them being what happened to Irene's mum, who it is hinted, I think, um, was carried away by the first Goblin King and was his first wife. And also, the whole thing about the grandma, just more details about the grandma... Grandmother, great great grandmother, and whether just have the to be left. no, they shouldn't. String. You are, you know what, you know what it is. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it has, it has a bit of a meta thing happening in there because you know there's the thing about Curdy about how he can't see the grandmother. Yeah, and the grandma's like oh. it's because he does it. He's not ready to believe, right? He's not ready to believe. You saying I'm not ready to believe? <laughs> you saying George McDonald's saying something about the reader? It's like we're getting so frustrated about this, you know. We're just not ready for it. <laughs> Ever. Um, but actually, that's a point I want to come back to later. What's that? <laughs> We're packing all these things into George McDonald's theology. The, the, the thing of faith and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Should we go on to that? I feel like... Okay, let's go I, on to I, it now. Actually, could, before we do that, could we just talk... I just want to talk about the grandmother. I have never seen a more Marian character coming out of a Calvinistic Congregationalist, press, you know, Protestant, you know piece of literature mm. ever like this is she is such a marian imagery like there's blue everywhere she smells roses. like roses everywhere she's absolutely beautiful she's often Asian. called the she's lady thousand years old um by the way as well apparently she? yeah she's, she's not a, she's not a thousand years because she mentions that when she's, i'm a thousand yeah. years old she's quite old than most of the, yeah but she's but a, you know, she's say, ancient she's ancient can, yeah. she's beautiful she's you know protective and she's she gets mystical. more beautiful as she gets older. Yes, and yes, like and fine wine. <laughs> I guess, well. I guess, like fine wine, but also in a sense that she is not. She ages without, you know, exactly because she grows she, without aging. Because, because she's free from corruption. Yes, <gasps> yes, and that says what. But she's also very. She's also mystical and ephemeral because not everybody can see her. And she guides people on their journey. Yes. This and she's just very keeps wise. Getting better. Like wow. <laughs> I love it. Why Catholic. did I not see this? Why did I not see Luke's this? just propelled himself from the desk in his rolly chair. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really gonna be so close to the mic yelling that that it max out. <laughs> even though I do that all the time, but now I'm like <laughs> close to the mic. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's really cool. Yeah, she's actually a really awesome sort of character, and the relationship she has with Irene is really beautiful as well. And you know, just the delight that she shows and the protectiveness that she shows in her, and how she sort of leads her, you know, leads her along the path. She gives her enough information, but not so much that she'd be overwhelmed by the task. Like she, you know. Like you know, because the gra- it's the grandmother's thread, that fine thread, that leads her to Curdie through dark caves and being scared, mm. and she loses it at one point and then picks it up again. You know, it's she, she is sort of the perfect mother, and she knows where to let her children sort of mm. go and try things, but only when they're re- when she knows that they can be resilient enough to accept it when they hit a brick wall, literally, um, or you know they hit a cave wall, and so it's. I just thought it was phenomenal that Not- such a character existed in the mind of George MacDonald. So the next thing, I guess, going back to what you were saying, Kiara, about the, um, the the thread. Yes. I found that whole scene to be quite fascinating because what happens is that, of course, as you mentioned, 
The great great grandmother says to Irene that when she gets scared, to put the ring under her, her pillow and follow this thread, uh, which we soon discover she's the only one who can actually feel this thread, which makes sense. Until Curdy feels it later, it and it side. leads her back. To, it leads him to Irene. So Curdy, uh, yes. Curdy can after a while because okay. he's had that okay. experience with the lady coming in to heal his wounds. Yes. Ah, okay. So which you don't know about. So the, which, yeah. which happens in the bit that you didn't read. <clears> yeah. So he's following, she's following this thread. And of course it takes her, you know, she's following it and it's all good. But then it starts getting a little bit scary. She notices that she's in the mountains and she comes up to the stream and she's like, oh, I don't know if I should go down there. But she nonetheless goes down there without any kind of hesitation. She follows it. She has to encounter the rocks as, as Kara alluded to before. She has to pull the rocks away. The thread starts going in different directions. And at moments where she's like, oh, I don't think I want to keep doing this. She turns around and the thread's gone. She can't follow it back out. So it's not like breadcrumbs. And so she has to keep following this thread. And she rescues Curdie as a result. And he's got to kind of just trust what on earth she's doing that she seems to know the way. Because she follows this thread. What I find fascinating about this is that it's quite an interesting, um, I guess, analogy. It seemed pretty obvious to me. The analogy for, I guess, the grace and the will of God of being able to follow that through life, that really, a lot of the time, we haven't got a clue what we're doing. Like, we follow, we try to follow God's will, and we understand, uh, I guess, what God wants us to do in different situations if we have correct discernment. Yeah, um, or, or we spend months, agoni- or we spend, you know, years or months agonising in the order of perpetual discernment, trying to figure things out. Well, I guess that's a bit <laughs> like the, you know, standing in front of the rocks. Yes. And then finally... When she figures out, oh, maybe I should just start taking the rocks away. We have moments like that where we just get... I have that all the time. Where I just get smacked over the head and God just puts my hands back on that thread. And it's just like, just keep following it, Luke. You know, like, because I'm an idiot. And <laughs> Usually. You know, <laughs> and 99% so just, of the time, I, I fall need, over because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I just need to keep following that thread. And I think... I thought that was quite quite a beautiful image that it kept taking her to these places that she needs to be that she would never have understood she didn't wake up in the morning and be like i'm gonna go rescue this guy from a cave right now (laughs) she had to follow that and follow that and follow that and eventually she got to there and she just had to keep trusting and when there were moments where they wanted to try and um make a divert diversion i guess she kept saying no we can't make that diversion And the moment where they do make a pretty serious diversion, which is to take the Queen's shoes off, it gets them into big trouble. Mm -hmm. So I guess I don't know if that was an intention that George MacDonald had there. But, yeah, this constant trust in God, and although it may not seem to make sense at particular moments in time, and although it may be hard, it may involve you, as he describes, cutting your hands, taking rocks out of things. At the end of the day, uh, it's following God's will, and God's will is reasonable. And at no point does she do anything wrong while while following this thread. It's always the right path, both for human reason um, and also in accordance with the, the thread. So I thought that was pretty cool. And there was a specific quote that I wanted to get, but my iPad, which I was what, reading What quote on, is it? Uh, kind of conked out. It was... While Luke is perusing, um, I just want to say, just uh, add on, I suppose, that the other thing it says about God's will and following it is that sometimes it's not about you. So the whole thread thing is has really nothing to do with the princess. It's there to it's there to save Curdie. 
And all I could think of during this was, you know, paralleling this with, you know, my friends' lives, my lives, those sort of things where you've been put in a situation, you're like, this is not fun. This is not conducive to anything I want to do. And then you, like, for instance, on a, like, church camp or something like that, and you're like, none of my friends are here. I'm going to have a terrible time. And then you you realise that you were meant to be there for someone else or you were meant to be there to, to share something that changed someone else's life, you know? And so that we should always follow God's will because... Sometimes, while it might not be directly affecting our lives, we're, cons- we're you know, we're not, no man is an island. We're, yes, we're with we're others. We're not in a vacuum. And we could be, you could be on a journey to help someone else for a while before, you know, someone perhaps is coming on a journey to change your life in some way. So, Luke, have you found it? <laughs> no, I haven't. But, but what is I it? I, um, something that I can't quite remember. I know I highlighted it. But something that I found interesting is looking back over this scene again. There's this moment where she says, but she was soon satisfied that what Curdie wanted done and what the thread wanted done were one and the same thing. I think that's quite interesting about like seeing how God's will can be revealed in other people um, and in your environment around you and that kind of thing. Like, I just think it's quite this whole chapter, which is called The Escape, is quite an interesting chapter. And there was something specifically that I wanted, that I had highlighted, and I can't remember what it was but yeah anyway it was along it was basically along the lines of things that you just said victoria mm-hmm. i think you pretty much just explained it for me that this notion of yeah that the god's will um can often than, make no sense to us yeah um and it, it shows it quite beautifully um we just have to kind of not a blind trust um because i don't like the word blind uh, in terms of trust. I mean, she's still following the thread um, and it's still, I guess, to a certain extent, reasonable. Um, so what have we got here? I don't know. I've underlined a whole bunch of things about what you're talking <laughs> right. about. Yeah, so there's one Victoria's just showed me here. This whole the relation, Actually, yeah, the relationship of people with faith also and people who are following that thread or trying to follow that thread with people who just can't see it. So for a good bulk of this, Curdy can't see the thread. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't understand the thread. And in fact, towards the end of it, he becomes quite frustrated at this whole situation because she seems to be, uh, Irene seems to be interacting with this great-great-grandmother, which he can't see and, and thinks is a load of rubbish. Yeah. Um, and the grandmother explains to Irene, people must believe what they can and those who believe more must not be hard upon those who believe less. I doubt if you would have believed it all yourself if you hadn't seen some of it. So I guess there's a sense of yeah. some. Pe- How, we we can't revelation as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like I can't gloat about my position in my relationship with God because I didn't just wake up one morning and be like, "Oh, I've got it all." You know, I've got it all. My, my relationship with God is a continual process and has been a process that started in the dump and slowly working my way out of it by God's grace. We can't stand being slightly more clean than everyone else and say to the people that are still in the dump, just get out. Just get out. Can't you see it? It's so obvious. Yeah. We can, we're not in a position to do that because we didn't do that ourselves. Nah. And none of this is our strength. It's God's strength. It's, I mean, it's our response to that. 
Uh, but nonetheless, it's not something we can we can use as a judgment upon others. And mm. it's really interesting to the way. I mean, again, like this is this really ties a grandmother into sort of the Marian aspect as well, because she knows and she understands that people, you know, that seeing is not necessarily believing. Just because you see something doesn't mean you're going to believe it. And she's the example of the nurse Lutie. If Lutie saw me, what would she think? She'd probably just you know shake her head and go, "Oh, well, I must have imagined it." Mm. And you know, so and And that's hit that hits close to home. We see that happen in the world all the time, like the miracles that happen, Guadalupe, you know, the Lourdes, Lourdes, stuff like that, and Lourdes like literally happened, like what twenty years earlier, not even, and there would have been then this then this book, and so there's actually a whole scene where after this grand adventure that um, Irene goes on to rescue to rescue Curdy, she is she gets you know she she gets given a bath. In this beauty, you know, she described they describe this beautiful pool that has this endless depths, and this water is just amazing and life giving, and like heals all her bruises and weariness and all that sort of stuff. There's I'm the baptism there. illusion there, so I'm not mm. entirely baptism illusion. On it because baptism illusion, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if it was an illusion to Lourdes as well. That's that's because yeah, that's it would it would have been making it would have been making the news around the world, especially because there were miracles happening there. Yeah, and you had that was the period when a lot of a there lot was a lot of skepticism which, about yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of atheists were lot... going there. The whole oh, I don't see anyone with the what's the thing? I don't see any amputees at Lords. That's still a thing that people say today, like in other roundabout ways. Yeah. Which, by the way, anyway, um, <laughs> there's there's other things that can be said on that, but that's beside the point. Um, yeah, that's that's quite interesting. I didn't really think about that. They do come out at a spring too. Yeah, and so there's or like, a stream. Yeah, yeah, and so like I said, lots of loads of Marian stuff in there that just kept hitting me in the face, going, "Oh my gosh!" Like what's and the and the other re- the other thing that I absolutely love about this grandmother too is that she's not this, she's not weak, she's mm. not. That's Marian. She's not yeah. like. It's also very grandmotherly. She's Grandmothers are like that. They're like, you know, yeah. listen to me because I know better, but I love you. Yeah. And I'm going to give you a bath, but listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like she's not, you do not get this sense at all that she's weak or, you know, pay, fair or holy card, picture worthy. Like, Speaking and, uh, of holy cards, there's this fantastic picture. I can't think of what it's called, but I don't know if you've ever seen it. And it's this image of Our Lady holding this big stick and it's got like this child it's got like the child behind her who is not is not our lord obviously yeah. it's meant to be like one of us and like this demon sort of like this weird little demon thing and I she's want to see that image snack. that's awesome the, the demon like it's great it's yeah. fantastic it's not a new image either like yeah. it's Aww. quite old yeah it looks quite old in its artistic style but like that's kind of what you're talking about. The, the, this this image of image of Mary. She's not like this weak, you know. She travelled across like the countryside while pregnant to go visit. Like that is not a weak woman, right there. Mm-hmm. Like she's a woman who had to watch her son die in the most horrendous way. Like yeah, no, this is not a weak. And woman. and it <laughs> drives me nuts when people kind of like sugarcoat Mary and put you know like because that's the image of Mary that I grew up with, and so I wrote her off. And like you know, totally, and that's what I, that's what my conception of femininity was. And I'm like, that's not me. I'm I'm the one I'm the one you know scraping my knee and falling out of trees and you know all that sort of stuff. I'm that's not me. I don't want anything to do with pearls and pastels and rosaries and you know soft thing over there. But it wasn't until like the last couple of years that I've kind of realised that no, this is this is what femininity is. This mm. is you know which which you don't see positive images like that that are really tangible. And she's still 
it's it's strength without masculinity. Yes. yes. We need to we need to really go back to this notion of what what does it mean that there's this genuine femininity that's also strong. It's not weak. It's not, I guess, like there. That's the only word I can use. There. He's making some great hand gestures here too. I'm so but sorry you can't see them. Like it's not like that. That there is a there is a difference between masculinity and femininity, and there's a difference in in terms of like what strength means in both masculinity and femininity. And I think that's something that needs to be, I guess, thought about and reclaimed much more. a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because you because really do not... see, you really do see it in. You really, you really do see it in fairy stories like this. And unfortunately, George MacDonald is not one of the most appreciated authors anymore. Like, we hadn't heard... We, mm. I mean, I'd only heard of him in passing, and it didn't occur to me until Jordan mentioned we should do it, Jordan. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jordan. Shout out to Jordan, again. <laughs> is, it, um, is it fair to say that this great-grandmother is sort of a precursor to Gladriel, do you reckon? Again, a little way because she gives you know the light to Frodo, and I feel that she's wise as well. Well, George MacDonald did have an influence on Tolkien. As did well. he? Did he truly? We well, probably it probably oh. did. That's what Jordan did. said. <laughs> another shout out to Jordan. I think yeah. he said he said Pro- that. Well, right, he probably yeah. did. If he had a, if he had an influence on C.S. Lewis, he would have had an influence hmm. on Tolkien because those two were great mates, basically. And possibly that. And I mean, just in I guess in general, you know, this is a they. Tolkien probably would have been at a period in the church where Mary did have a strong, like there was a strength to to Marian devotion, uh, to I guess Our Lady in Marian devotion, um, which is something that I think is in need of a not in need, uh, but is making a comeback. I mean, the popes have always had a love for it. Saint John Paul II is like a big one, and mm-hmm. it's been it's continued prior to that and also after that. And I think when you see that, the image of the mother um, is not it's not one throughout the history of Catholicism one of weakness I mean as we mentioned last last time in the wife of Bath's tale there have been periods in the church where philosophy has seen woman as weak mm-hmm. but even then it's not even like they couldn't, square, they couldn't square it with the Bible which they is hilarious they couldn't, they couldn't square it with our lady um, and, and they secondly couldn't square it with other like feminine precursors in the Bible as but well. But it's also that they're not necessarily, although they're, they're portrayed as weak in some sense, they're also portrayed as cunning, um, yeah, which to me the- doesn't describe weakness. So anyway, but we'll, we'll continue with this week. And in fact, we're like way out of time. <laughs> we're 30-something minutes in. Did we so. want to have oh, wow. a brief thing about George MacDonald's theology because that, I think, is the missing... I think we're just missing something Well, here. apparently, yeah. We'll, if we can do this in, like, 30 seconds, let's do it. All right, so apparently... Uh, so George MacDonald is what I can gather is a universalist. Um, so he believes, as near as I can tell, that um, all people will eventually be reconciled with God. Um, this is a heresy that was condemned in the church a very, very long time ago. Um, Oregon, for example, Origin, uh, for example, was condemned because of this, because he held to this heresy, um, which is interesting because if he didn't have that heresy, he probably would be saint 
origin at the moment. He also cut off some other very, yeah, very Yeah, let's not go there. Let's not go there. We don't know readers. if that happened. We don't know if that happened, but it is in the Council of Nicaea, so there's... Anyway. Um, <laughs> you, should go go- you should go Google that one. It's a great story. Or don't. <laughs> or don't if you've got a... <laughs> don't do that if you've got a uh, weak stomach. Yeah. But nonetheless... Um, this is a heresy, but interestingly, apparently this comes up at the end of the story in Where, terms of the goblins. Yeah, the goblins kind of, they move out of the mountain and into the light and they sort of, you know, grow back into something that's more human and more, you know, and I they mean, you know, have peaceful relations with everyone from now on. I didn't know anything about the universalist thing, like... I wouldn't see that as a problem. It's like, okay, people can be redeemed. I don't see a problem with that. Like, I mean, so, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was trying to make a point about universalism. Maybe We've he wasn't. Remember he, grew up in, he grew up in strong Calvinism, and he was reacting against that. So, yeah. um, I don't know. But it's an interesting thing to note when you're reading this, his, his theology. And if you look into that, there's... Um, he has quite strong opinions about it, um, some of which are Catholic, some of which are evidently not. Um, but nonetheless, George MacDonald, interesting guy. Thank you, Jordan, for putting us onto him. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what are we going to do next time? Oh, what readings do I have we'll for you? For no. <laughs> I don't know. If we want newer books, we could about like the unbearable lightness of being or something. There's a lot we can tackle in that. That's the 80s as far as I'm aware, isn't it? Reacting to like occupation of Prague or something. Um, Milan Kundera. That's right. The unbearableness of light. You know what's great is that I type into Google the un... and it comes up with the whole thing. Google, you're great. Did I get his name right? It's... I cannot pronounce that at all. Milan Kundera? Yeah. Kundera. Kundera, yeah. I don't know how you pronounce it. Anyway, I found it a fascinating read. So if not next week, we should do it at one point or another. We should. How many pages is it? It's 393 pages. The book I have is like a a centimetre big. Okay. So it's pretty short. It's quite short. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Uh, Let's do that. I don't know if I'll read all of it, but I'll give it a good... Give it a good slog. It um, will be very different to what we've been reading recently. Yes, it, ain't it is very. It is very. It is very much a product of it's of fine. the more modern times. So, oh, I'm a bit concerned now. Is there like a parental guidance warning that we should be yes. doing on this? Okay. Yes. All right. Well, unbearable lightness of being. Next time on Catholics Read. So, thank you once again, Jordan. Uh, if anyone has anything to suggest, please. Send it to uh, what's our email address again? Cradiolimited at gmail.com. And yeah, or go on the Cradio Facebook page and yell things. Keyboard smash notes. something out. Yes. Yeah. All Preferably right. something legible. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll talk to you next time. Bye. 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 That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.